When you come to Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, you're a new creature in Christ. The old things have been put away. Behold, new things have come. In other words, God sees us in Christ. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ positionally. But that doesn't keep the New Testament from regularly calling on us to put off the old suit of clothes and put on a new way of life. And the picture is quite simple. Our old lifestyle was characterized by a certain kind of living. And he says, put that off, take that clothing off and put on a new way of life. Notice he says, lay aside the old and put on the new. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today, we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part three of the message titled, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Romans chapter 13, if you didn't bring a Bible, why you can grab uh, that pew Bible, the black card back there, and, and Romans 13 is on page 130 in the New Testament, the back portion of the Bible there. And we want to pick it up at verse 11, Romans 13, verse 11. This do, knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. This do knowing the time, he says. And you know, this is, when you think about it, this little paragraph is a statement of simple Christianity. Know and do. <laughs> Christian living. In fact, uh, Christian living, our lifestyle as Christians, is always lived in response to what we know about God. You come to Christ and trust Him as your Savior when you realize who He is and what He's done for you. And you can take all of Romans in one sense and say, 11 chapters have to do with knowing. And then chapter 12 and following, which is the section we're in, doing. This do, knowing the time. And uh, as I pointed out last week, in one sense, this do... <laughs> Describes, and he's saying this. What's this? Well, in one sense, he's referring to everything he said from chapter 12 onward. And this is such a practical section where, I mean, he's given us instruction how to live our lives. In light of what God has done for us, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, he said, by the mercies of God, by, I urge you, by everything God has done for you, put your life at his disposal. Present yourselves to Him, a living and holy son. It's the only reasonable thing to do. It's the only rational thing to do, is to give yourself to Him. And so in one sense, when He says, this do, you can think of the whole section. In another sense, and more specifically, He just said, listen, owe nothing to anybody except to love them. If you love your neighbor, 
You're going to fulfill all the law because love doesn't do any wrong to a neighbor. And, you know, if you, you think about boiling the Christian life down to one word, I think the appropriate word would be love. Uh, our actions toward God, our attitude toward God, our actions towards others, and our attitude toward others. Love them. But uh, in another sense, you can take this and say, this do, knowing the time, and say, what's he going to say now? In one sense, it looks back. He says, this do. But in another sense, you can look ahead, and he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing the time, knowing what hour it is, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And last time I mentioned that that's really the umbrella term, I think, for what he's saying here. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we looked at, and you can look at the text and see several, uh, you know, short little statements that kind of describe it. Wake up, he says. Put off the old. Lay aside the old lifestyle. Put on the new. Uh, the day is at hand. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Made no provision for the flesh. Walk. Verse 13, he says, behave. But really the word there is walk. Literally. Properly, corresponding to who you are now in Christ. So we want to take a second look at that and uh, notice, and I'll remind you, that he doesn't just say knowing in general. He says, this do, knowing the time. Wake up. It's the hour to be awake. The day is coming, he says. And we point it out, and it so permeates the New Testament that I remind you again that this isn't just a, a happen to be in Romans 13 kind of a thing. Everywhere you turn in the New Testament, you have this call to alertness, to readiness, because Christ is coming back. He said, I'm leaving you. I'm going to go prepare a place for you, and I'm coming back for you. And uh, just listen, just listen to the words of Scripture, and it's interesting when you hear the Lord after He gave a chapter of describing His return. Here's what He said: "Take heed, keep on the alert. You don't know what the, when the appointed time is. It's like a man away on a journey, who, upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert." You don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether it's evening, at midnight, at cock crowing, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, he closes his whole statement with. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. That's what Jesus said. What did Paul say? Well, you're looking at it right here in Romans 13. And throughout his writings, I mean, when he described the Christian life in one of his first books, Thessalonians, he said, I thank God, and I've heard from other people telling me what's happened in your lives, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son. He reduced the Christian life to turning to God, serving him, and waiting for his son. I'm quoting Thessalonians 1, verse uh, 9 and 10. And all throughout his writings you have that until when he is on death row awaiting his execution, he tells Timothy, you know, there's a crown waiting for me, but not just for me, for all who've loved his appearing. 
And his heart burned even brighter for the hope, the blessed hope that he wrote of throughout all his writings that Christ is coming back for us. What about Peter? Listen to what Peter said uh, in his first epistle. Therefore, gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Or his second letter. He says, the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. And regard the patience of our Lord. Regard the fact that he hasn't come back now for 2,000 years. Regard the same fact that some mockers say, ah, you guys have been saying that for 2,000 years. And Peter said, no, don't regard that as anything but the patience of our Lord. And regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation, just like Paul wrote. That's what Peter says. I'm quoting out of 2 Peter 3. Jesus, Paul, Peter. What about James? Chapter 5. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it till it gets the early and late rains. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Don't complain, brethren, against one another, that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Don't waste your life, Christian, gossiping and complaining about other brethren. We're here to love one another. He says, the Lord is coming. <laughs> the coming of the Lord is at hand. The judge is right at the door. Don't judge each other. James, in his practical way, uh, three times states there in chapter 5, the coming of the Lord is at hand. Live accordingly. Peter, James, John, Paul, Jesus. What about Jude? Jude says this at the close of his little uh, postcard epistle to borrow someone else's comment. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wait for him. So it just permeates the New Testament. Be on the alert. Be waiting. Be ready for the return of the Lord. Now, look at our text. And he says, you know, the night is almost gone, verse 12. The day is at hand. Salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The Lord's coming is nearer now than it was last week when we talked about it. Seven days nearer. We don't know when he's going to get here. Midnight middle of the night, morning, but he says the night's almost over. The day is at hand. Be ready. Now today, we want to look more closely at what he says about it. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a call to distinctive Christian living. In other words, a call to purity. Purity. And I'll tell you, it's a great need in our culture today because there's this... Uh, tragic, really, situation that we live in where there are, I think, increasingly people saying that they are Christians, people who will assent to uh, maybe even the truth. I read a statistic recently that a majority of Americans believe 
that Jesus Christ is coming back, at least when asked on a survey. But you've got this situation where a lot of people are saying that, perhaps, and yet often there's no real difference between the lifestyle of those who would say they're followers of Christ and those who are living as if he'll never be back and are living in the want and sin that our culture is increasingly embracing. And these things ought not to be. It just doesn't add up. I mean, everywhere, in fact, just about, not just, just about, every text I just read, whether it's Jesus, Paul, Peter, James, John, Jude, always the call is to be ready. And there's a practical purity that must mark our lives if we're waiting for the Lord. He who has this hope fixed on him keeps himself pure, John says, because he is pure. So I want to look more closely at that phrase in verse 14, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and see what Paul says about it. And I think it's a very practical exhortation for us. Now, in one sense, in a very crucial sense, I might add, we have put on the Lord Jesus Christ. When you come to Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian... You're a new creature in Christ. The old things have been put away. Behold, new things have come. So in a very real sense, this has already happened. But in another sense, and in just as crucial of a sense, we must put on the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, God sees us in Christ. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ positionally. But that doesn't keep the New Testament from regularly calling on us to put off the old suit of clothes and put on a new way of life. And the picture is quite simple. Our old lifestyle was characterized by a certain kind of living. And he says, put that off. Take that clothing off and put on a new way of life. You can see it. In our text, notice he says, lay aside the old and put on the new. And so it's a picture. Uh, it's like a change of clothes. Uh, you know, when Lazarus was raised from the dead, he's a little picture of this. Uh, because the scripture says we were dead in sin. And when Jesus Christ saves us, we have life. And so Lazarus... Come forth was the word. Jesus called him out of the grave. And you remember how he came out? He came out, the Bible specifically says, bound hand and foot. He was a picture of death. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. And I think that's a great picture. When you come to Christ, our lives have been in bondage to sin. And he says, take off those old grave clothes. It would have been foolish for Lazarus to say, no, I kind of like this stuff. No, remember they said, Lord, by now it'll even stink. He's been dead four days. You don't want to hang around the graveyard. Get out of there. You were dead, now you're alive. Don't live like dead people. You were in darkness. Now you're light in the Lord, Ephesians 5, 8 says. Walk as children of light. And when you come to Christ, yes, all things are new. And now he says, live that way. Put off the old, put on the new. Or as you see it there in verse 13, the first phrase, let us behave properly. And as I said a minute ago, 
behave there is just the word walk. He says, listen, you were darkness. Now you're light. Walk. In a corresponding way, walk like a Christian. Now, notice what he says. Verse 12, lay aside the deeds of darkness. Lay aside the deeds of darkness. The first step in one sense is to put off the old. You can't put on your new lifestyle until you've put aside the old. Now, I would add that when a person comes to Christ, the first thing we need to do necessarily isn't to start lecturing them on what they need to quit doing or put aside. In fact, it's interesting to me that Paul is how many verses into it? It's a chapter and a half anyway before he gets to this. He's a chapter and a half into instruction on the Christian life. And the first thing he said is just give yourself to God. And then he gave a chapter full of positive instruction and another half a chapter. But then he says, listen, this do knowing the time. The Lord's coming back soon. And now he gets to this negative. In other words, what to put aside, lay aside the deeds of darkness. And you say, what are those? Well, it's the way you used to live. It's the way of life of those who don't know God. It's basically the way of life of people today who don't know him. He says, lay that aside, put it off. And he describes it. Look at verse uh, 13. Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. I'll tell you what, that's a great description of the deeds of darkness. Not, he says, not in carousing and drunkenness. Not in just the party life. Now, I know people that don't know God, they may think that's life. But you know better, he says. Uh, not in carousings and drunkenness. Don't get drunk with wine, Paul writes in Ephesians. That's dissipation. No. No, we know so much better than to live that way. Look over at 1 Peter 4. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 4 and listen to Peter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit say the exact same thing. You know, we've been called out of darkness, and he says, so as, verse 2, chapter 4, 1 Peter 4, 2, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh. The, long, uh, the rest of your life, Christian, we've, we've been called to live in the flesh, you know, while we're here in this body, to live the rest of the time no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. We don't live to please men in general or ourselves, the lusts of men, but we're, we live for the will of God. For he says, the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. He says, what is the lust of men? He said, you know what it is. The time already passed is sufficient for you to have lived that way, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. And in all this, they're surprised that you don't run with them into the same excess of dissipation. And they malign you. People say, what's wrong with you? You're not enjoying yourself like you used to, like we do. But they shall give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Now, that's the deeds of darkness. It has no place in the Christian's life. Our joy is not to get so drunk that we can forget our troubles. 
Our joy is not to spend all our time just trying to party it up and forget things. Oh, no, he said, the time already passed. You've been called out of that? Praise God. That's the deeds of darkness. Leave it behind. Peter says, I know they'll act like there's something wrong with you, but they're going to give an account to the one who's ready at the door to judge, just like James said. So he says, not in carousing and drunkenness. And look at verse 13 for a minute in our text, and notice he says it three times, not, 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 not in. And there's three couplets, and the first one we just looked at, carousing and drunkenness. The second one, sexual promiscuity and sensuality. You see, when people don't know God, when people are in the dark, they live for this kind of thing. And he says, not in coite. That's the word here for sexual promiscuity. And it's a very picturesque word. I mean, it's the word for bed. Uh, it, when Jesus told that parable, the guy that was already in bed, when the guy knocked on the door, he was in bed with his kids. He said, I'm already in bed. When he says, let the marriage bed be held in honor among all, this is the word he uses, Hebrews 13. Back in chapter 9, it's translated conception because it took on the same meaning that we say when somebody says they bed people or sleep around, and he says, not in beds, it's plural. He says, that's not the way to live. Sexual promiscuity in all its ramifications. Oh, the marriage bed is sacred. Let it be held in honor among all who know Christ. God gave us sex, and it's a beautiful thing in its confines. But misused, it's part of the lifestyle of darkness. And he says, not in promiscuity and sensuality. And I don't know how he could better describe our culture today. And these two come together, don't they? People drug themselves up with alcohol or drugs and partying, and it's inevitably linked with immorality and sensuality, and our media and our entertainment and our conversations and everything just permeated with this. He says, no, no, that's the deeds of darkness. And then look at the third little knot. Not in strife, and jealousy. You know, strife is a strong word. It's that brokenness of human relationships that comes when people just strive for themselves and what they want. And there's kind of a belligerent opposition to anything else. And a jealousy here is sometimes translated in a positive way as zeal. But here it's a zeal for my own way and what will satisfy me. And it's the inevitable cousin to the first two couplets. In other words, look at that verse and it describes our day-to-day -day drugs, immorality, and brokenness, and strife. You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, a message from our series in the book of Romans. We're grateful that you've joined us today to listen to this broadcast. If you'd like to hear more on your own schedule or would like to download any past message or subscribe to our podcast, just head over to our website 
at abideintheword.us. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us for our live online Sunday worship service at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. You can find us live on YouTube by searching for SW Bible Live or go to swbible.org and click on Live Stream. We also broadcast the service live on the radio on True Talk 800 a.m. It's best to check the 800 a.m. program guide for up-to-the-minute schedule adjustments. We're continuing to see new growth in the Romans Project on the continent of Africa. We'd like to invite you to learn more about this ministry or become a partner with us as we minister to pastors and church leaders throughout Africa. Just navigate over to romansproject.org or connect with us at facebook.com slash romansproject. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Do you make provision for the flesh? Oh, it's easy to do. It's easy to kind of still feed the flesh. (laughs) Provide for it. We wonder why it's still kind of an angry master and welling up and so strong. It's because we're feeding it. We're filling our mind and our hearts, perhaps, with the normal fare on the television screen. Well, that feeds the lusts of the flesh. Don't make provision for it. Don't coddle it. Don't excuse it. I don't care if you just came to Christ this week or if you've been a Christian 35 years. Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings the fourth and final part of the message titled, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.